1: When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to
0: monday.com.
3: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on The Times. I'm Matt Chorley.
1: I have just been to Buckingham Palace where Her Majesty the Queen has asked me to form a new government and I accepted.
3: That was three years ago this week. But instead of delivering on her pledge to build a better Britain, she is packing her bags and preparing to leave Downing Street. But having promised a country that works not for a privileged few, but for every one of us, what has Theresa May actually achieved? I've assembled a stellar panel of Red Box regulars to cast a critical eye over her legacy, holding her to the words she spoke on the steps of number 10. Daniel Finkelstein is a Times columnist who's advised Tory Prime Ministers and leaders down the years. Alice Thompson has chronicled the May era in. columns, interviews and in-depth features. And Anne Ashworth, Times property and money editor, has watched as May bet the house and lost. Instead of our panellists kicking off with their own take on the May premiership, we're going to get the PM to introduce them herself. Alice Thompson's going to kick off with perhaps the most famous part of the speech, those burning injustices.
1: That means fighting against the burning injustice. That if you're born poor, you will die on average nine years earlier than others. If you're black you're treated more harshly by the criminal justice system than if you're white. If you're a white working class boy, you're less likely than anybody else in Britain to go to university. If you're at a state school, you're less likely to reach the top professions than if you're educated privately. If you're a woman, you will earn less than a man. If you suffer from mental health problems, there's not enough help to hand.
3: So, Alice, that's... I mean, it's probably the most famous bit of the speech, uh, the burning injustices bit. Um, Has she made much progress on any of them?
2: Actually, it is deeply depressing looking at this in cold blood because when you look at it, she really hasn't managed to achieve any of it, has she, really? And, you know, you look at the born poor, die earlier, that's still happening. The black... Actually, there's new evidence that's come out that they are still... You know, there's more stabbings now. Um, County lines that I did a big... um, series on with Rachel Sylvester. That's predominantly poor, black, ethnic minority children who've become involved in that. Um, then the white working class boys, it's exactly the same. And the state school, I mean, you look at the Tory leadership and it's almost entirely full of people who, if it they're w- alternative, they went to Charterhouse, but otherwise... It was so depressing
3: at the um, the Sun-Tor radio debate when Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt, they, you know, one went to Eton, one went to Charterhouse and they were sort of having a squabble over who'd got the more generous... Scholarship to go to these schools yeah. as if it was some, some sign of, of pluck.
2: On and we their all part. have to know what a Wikimist is now, which I think is, you know, <laughs> n- none of us knew that until. For this. the benefit
3: of listeners, what is a Wikimist? It's
2: someone who went to Winchester.
3: Yes. which
2: And actually, Charthouse is a Carthusian, isn't it? It's very complicated, but we never thought we were going to have to know. We're going to have to kind get of across detail. this. We thought, mm. we
3: thought that getting across the Malt House compromise um, was complicated. Um, yes. You're right, there were some new um, figures out uh, just this week showing there were now more black, Asian, or minority ethnic youths in young offender institutes. Insecure, and it's the white people for the first time, in actual numbers, never mind the fact that they make up overall a smaller proportion of the country. So it just seems to be getting just worse.
2: So what her problem is, I think she had some big issues that she really needed to tackle at the same time as Brexit. One of them was universal credit, which was the, I think, probably her biggest issue because it just wasn't working and she needed to make sure it did. And then she had the escalation of food banks and she had about, you know, a huge turnover of ministers in that role, ending up with Amber Rudd, who now has actually done something about it and is trying to fix it. But that was one of her major issues, I thought, that she never really got her head round universal credit.
3: Was it just a mistake to even make this speech because she had her premiership was going to be just dominated by Brexit.
2: No, I thought it was a fantastic speech. I mean, that's the one thing we've always really liked. And actually what's happened is we've ended up remembering her for leather jeans, wheat fields, scented candles. And and this is what she should have been remembered for. And she knew that at the beginning. That's what's so sad, actually. It's almost tragic that she did actually get a grasp of what needed to happen in Britain and how it needed to change. And the one thing I say she has done is women. So she was always focused on women. She was very good about getting women to win inter... You know, becoming MPs into politics, and she did try on that, and she has done more on FGM, on um, domestic abuse, and so she's tried to push that agenda. And now, when she's about to leave, she really is going for that more, but it's almost too late, isn't it?
3: Danny, isn't because lots of people liked that speech at the time. wasn't it basically a speech that any party leader ever could give.
4: At the moment I heard it, I thought, well, I understand why someone wrote that because I've written speeches like that. I understand why she delivered it. I understand the reception, but it's bound to disappoint. And what was missing in the speech was any sort of uh, reference to the difficulty of achieving these things. And indeed, I think... The first few weeks of Theresa May's government were characterised by massively overplaying their hand politically. And that reflected also in their relationship with the former Cameron staff uh, in the way that uh, they sold Theresa May's personality at the beginning of the government, which didn't really accord to how she was. And so um, I thought it was a very good speech. But, but part of the reason it was good was that it wasn't deliverable and people thought, wow, that's amazing. Well, of course they did because that was not an <laughs> offer that you could make. And seriously, so if she had offered to make progress in these areas, I mean, you can argue, question whether she has or whether she hasn't, or do things to address those uh, problems. That would have been one thing. But if you give people the impression that your government has got the strength, commitment and money to overcome these problems, you're bound to disappoint.
2: Well, so she did have the manifesto, which was, you know, she, she had an election, she had a manifesto. Mm. She could have looked at some of these issues and gone back to them, but actually she didn't. We ended up with the dementia tax, which, when she talks about mental health, you know, she didn't actually help people who had dementia. She wasn't doing very much for them. And, she, you know, with schools and free school meals, she wasn't helping children that way. So she didn't use her manifesto, which she could have used, to try and implement some of this or try even to signal
0: she was going to. So are we going to think that these are the most stirring words that she ever uttered in what is actually a very, very moving speech and to see in her legacy the vast gap between what she hoped to achieve and what she actually achieved, which is really rather tragic. She is becoming more, in my eyes, a really, really tragic figure.
3: Is it the case, do you think, that speeches on number 10 always disappoint in the end because whenever anyone comes in there's an element of optimism and hope and whether it's well, or, uh, whether it's you know where there is discord where maybe bring harmony which i'm not sure anyone would argue, you that the see, I, would argue
4: I would argue that those were brilliant words because what mrs thatcher had was an alternative theory about how to bring harmony up until that point the idea had been to end the discord by trying to propitiate everybody's uh, uh, disputes and and, and grumbles. Uh, she said, no, the way to end the Discord is to defeat the other side. Uh, and she succeeded in doing that. And so I think you could definitely argue that there was more harmony uh, in the 20 years after Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister than there was in the 20 years before it because she became Prime Minister because there was discord and made that speech on the doorstep precisely for that reason. This speech was very well targeted but because it was uh, to the disputes and problems of the moment but because it somewhat overreached because it wasn't a broad argument but was very specific in circumstances where they were unlikely to have the resources and ability to achieve it. I just think um, you know the the speech and the speech writer just overstepped the mark, um, achieved the, the what you wanted on the day, but at the expense of of sticking you with something you couldn't do and then ending up looking as though you were a failure. So I, I think there was hubris on, on when Theresa May became Prime Minister. I'm very sympathetic to her in lots of ways, actually, but I think that particular atmosphere in those few weeks, that was a big error, and she lived with that error, really. Alice, to what extent as
3: well, in the, the section that we're discussing, if you're p- poor, you'll die uh, younger. If you're black, you'll well treated uh, worse by the criminal justice system. If you're white, working-class boy, you're less likely to go to university. These actually aren't things that somebody who's been Prime Minister for three years could have achieved. It's actually the sort of thing that, by the time any progress is made on it, nobody can really tell who it was that... That is a difficult... It's such a long-term... It's, 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 a, it's an admirable ambition, but it actually it's one that you'll never get the credit for in a way that... Um, yes, you, you, big long term social changes like that it's not the same as how many schools have you opened or how many houses have you built these are big social te- they challenges. are changes
2: but you can go in one direction or the other can't you and that that's her problem is that she didn't accelerate the, I think the, the, the travel and you know you always get Boris Johnson talking about kicking the can down the road, but there's positives of kicking cans down the road, and she didn't really do that here. So she did a bit with women. She did talk about women. She talked them up, but she didn't have that many women in her cabinet. The
3: fact that she had had at least one reshuffle, and they went down. Yes,
2: it went down. And there were issues such as, I thought, the sugar tax, which, funnily, you you can say, and Boris Johnson now does say, that he, he... He's not sure it's the right thing to do. But that had a major impact on people's health and is continuing to and will have a major impact on children and on children in poverty's health. So she could have done more on that. There are a lot of different areas I think she could have done. She could have looked at universal credit much earlier and sorted that out. And she didn't really engage in any of this. And I think you say she was only involved in Brexit and she needed to be involved in Brexit, but some of this didn't need to get through Parliament. She could have just done it. And actually, it might have been a welcome distraction for her to get well, something done. Have to have,
4: you, have to have some, you have to have money as well, and they didn't really have that. I, I don't think... You I think it's correct that you could make progress in all of these fronts. And actually, on some of these ones, like working class, children and universities, they did make some progress. And in some other areas, like on the gender pay gap or... um, you know, with stop and search. They certainly did things that will help the situation, even if the trends have been going sharply in the wrong direction and they didn't reverse it completely. The the mistake was to give the impression that you were going to... To give the impression, even if, you know, when you examine the words, it probably doesn't say that exactly, but to give the impression that you were going to solve these problems in a very big way, and it just... Um, it was bound, you were bound to disappoint. So well, what you need is, to say is, we're going to make some progress in these areas. I
2: think the problem is that now she's trying to do it all in a few weeks, and that's the difficulty, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Well, now suddenly you say she hasn't got any money, but she is chucking out money now, isn't she? She, she is. She, she is someone
3: she is working out her notice with
4: uh, vim and vigor. that is true. the desk, and that's the difficulty. They difficult have got thing. some more money now. That is one of the yeah. things because they have because they've got have had another two years of public spending constraint. But at the time she took over, that certainly was not yet the point.
2: Yeah, and Chancellor, I think, still feels that she hasn't really got the money, doesn't he? Yeah, yes. Philip Hammond is absolutely
4: determined not to have his yes. purse prized open at this
3: mm-hmm. um, at this late stage. Um, I'm going to make an executive decision and move housing up. So we'll do that next, and then uh, we'll do the union stuff at the end, because it feels like the housing stuff f- follows on from all that. OK, let's move on. But sort of staying in a, in a similar area, um, Anne Ashworth wants to take a look at what Theresa May said back in 2016, specifically about housing.
1: If you're young you'll find it harder than ever before to own your own home. But the mission to make Britain a country that works for everyone means more than fighting these injustices. If you're from an ordinary working-class family, life is much harder than many people in Westminster realise. You have a job, but you don't always have job security. You have your own home, but you worry about paying the mortgage. You can just about manage, but you worry about the cost of living and getting your kids into a good school if you're one of those families if you're just managing i want to address you directly i know you're working around the clock i know you're doing your best and i know that sometimes life can be a struggle the government i lead will be driven not by the interests of the privileged few but by yours
3: so, and they're just about managing. The people who couldn't afford to get their own home, are more people able to buy their own home now than they were three years ago?
0: That's a very good question. When we look back to those words, the things that Mrs May said about housing, both in the speech and in her first speech to conference, some of the statements were almost to the left of where Ed Miliband had been, and in some ways she derailed some of the policies of the previous administration, such as the plans to sell off higher-priced social housing, for example. Now, it was all very stirring at the time, but... We will also applaud her recognition that most social and economic problems at some point come back to housing, but her legacy may be much less than she expected and much less we could, than we could have hoped for at the time. Um, but let's remember that she has been in some ways almost a rebel, almost quite left-wing. I mean, whoever would have thought that a Tory government would try to abolish no-fault evictions, for example, Um, abolish letting agents' fees for tenants. Some of these were quite revolutionary moves. However, we are going to see her housing legacy in terms of what did not happen after the Grenfell disaster, her initial reaction to the Grenfell disaster, and also in the fact that as many people who were angry that they couldn't own their own home at the time she came to power, uh, there's just as many today.
3: I have to think, one of the most embarrassing bits of her speech when she announced she was quitting was when she she boasted about setting up an inquiry into Grenfell as if any other politician would ever have just said, oh, I'm not, I'm not interested in what went on there. Um, her, her, having that on a sort of league table of things she achieved <coughs> well, in Pat, the office. Yeah. The
4: alternative, though, of course, would be not to mention Grenfell and then she would have got into trouble for that. I mean, an awful lot of the re- reaction... To Grenfell and her was narrative, right? If that had come two days after a massive landslide election defeat, it would have been a massive tragedy. But her response would have been interpreted as know, suppose, typically cool and collected. Also,
3: the fact that it, it, she was seen as being unemotional and a detached actually just reinforced the impression that people had got during correct, the Correct, but like, what yeah.
4: I'm saying to correct. They did, and therefore it was part of that um part of that narrative. Whether it actually had any significant effect either on Grenfell itself happening or on anybody's um, experience on 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 any of the experiences I was right next to Grenfell
2: and I covered it and you know, I went to see her and I, I thought it was utterly extraordinary yeah. how she reacted, actually. Yeah. I thought it was completely bizarre well, for someone who was a vicar's daughter who must be used to seeing people coming to the vicarage who've had dreadful things, terrible things happening to them. And actually, it was the one moment when you need someone who's going to give you a cup well, of tea, listen, hear you out. And actually, she couldn't handle it on any level no. at all. It was quite uh, extraordinary. She and was she did very shaken. She was that bizarre interview yes. the BBC sorry, with yeah. Emily Maitlis. And it was really phenomenal to watch someone so unable just to give sympathy and support and i think you're right actually at the end it was it was extraordinary to see the fact that she still can't quite get her head around grenville that what you need to do is not just apologize but empathize with the people and how it happened it wasn't her fault exactly it did happen but she should have empathized in I the end. don't
4: I I would personally from my reactions to her and everyone will have their own different experience I think she is quite an empathetic and person I don't and I find her quite a warm person I don't find her a cold person but she's no question about it she has great difficulty in demonstrating that and bringing it over and and there are national moments that require it and she absolutely failed I think that she she would have um not have been seen to do that necessarily. If it hadn't come on top a moment when she was quite politically weak, quite politically shaken, not really at the top of her game anyway. Um, so that all fed in together. And it was certainly, but but I'm um, just really this all started by by you saying you know it stuck a duff note, which I think it did actually in in her talking about that but it would also have struck a duff note her not mentioning I it. And unfortunately, it you just can't. <laughs> and, but, and but, aside
3: but, from the politics, Anne, in practical terms, if people are thinking about Grenfell, which is now two years ago, what has changed on that? Is it more or less likely to happen again?
0: Who knows? And the tragedy of this, and I keep saying that word, is that this was a prime minister that really seemed to get the need for social housing. She seemed to understand that the building of council houses or local authority houses, whatever you might call them, is part of the infrastructure that helps the rest of society function. And when it came to it she could not summon the words she needed to about the need for social housing and the need for it to be secure safe and everything else and indeed many of the problems that were thrown up that were shown up about the whole standard of building at the time of, of Grenfell have not been resolved.
3: Why? Given because there's been this big debate about other buildings which have got the the cladding on still, and people paying people to walk around their buildings at night, you know, and all of that. What? Why? Why do you think? I mean, given that the government can rustle up, well, it's Theresa May's found In the last few weeks, you can rustle up a billion pounds here and a billion pounds there for various things. Why haven't they just sorted this problem out?
0: It seems to be this idea that the owners of property should make sure that they're safe, and that they seem to be able to just say, well, there are regulations but we cho- choose not to comply with them. And there has been a failure to implement building safety regulations any kind of block. And this was the one thing that she could have left as her legacy to say, I have made Britain's housing safer. Wouldn't that have been a great thing? I know, so I could have made Br- you, Britain's housing... It is housing-
4: safer. It's a question of whether it's yeah. safe. That's a, the, 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 One of these, that's also what happened in the previous conversation as mm. well. Uh, the they, uh, there's a difference between saying no progress has been made mm. or nothing has been mm. done at all and saying this hasn't been fully achieved and I think it's, it's undoubtedly the case that we haven't reached the end of that process but they have, we have had the start of it and undoubtedly uh, the cladding and regulation situation is much better than it was at the time of Grenfell the problem actually by the way on uh, but it's just not as good as it should be mm. no undoubtedly the problem with Grenfell is that we got we got uh, is that something the problem we've got is that something else will happen it won't be the cladding next time it may not even be a fire maybe some other uh problem and the question is uh, my, my issue whether is, whether is how adequately many houses are for actually that. I and mean, that's that's yeah. the issue that we keep
0: wanting well, to know because we I'd are love to know from Anne is how we're many not have been built. near that three hundred thousand mm. new homes a year mm. and there is another issue it always comes back to quality in the early days she looked as if she could really take on the major house builders the housing white paper was a real declaration of intent to build more houses, to build more quality houses. That was rather hobbled by the right wing of her party that did not want to see any building on the green belt. But we are still facing the problem that so much of the output of the major house builders is of poor quality. And meanwhile, as we have seen in all the headlines, the bosses of these businesses have been able to be enrich themselves to an extraordinary extent, thanks to help to buy that's the government scheme that helps you buy a new build home
3: and so on the the question of if you're young you'll find it harder than ever to buy your own home has that changed the young more young people getting on the poverty ladder
0: thanks to the changes to stamp duty we've seen a few more people Get on the ladder, become first time buyers. However, a great deal of that is thanks to Help to Buy, which is the most contentious piece of housing policy ever. You cannot imagine just exactly how some people object to that scheme, which is the bank of mum and dad for loads of people without rich parents. But the future of that scheme is in doubt. It will be restricted to first-time buyers by 2021 and may be withdrawn entirely by 2023. And without it, I cannot see where the incentive is for the major house builders who are not philanthropic institutions, let's (laughs) remember, to build the houses we need. I think our biggest
2: problem is the fact that she still hasn't addressed the fact that the elder generation, the older generations, Mm -hmm. are still doing better than the younger generations. And she was always going to that. She was going to help the young. And you don't get a sense now. I mean, she's talked about helping university students and maybe lowering their debt, but but it's not enough, actually. And I think the younger generation still feel angry and cross that they've been sold out. And part of it is Brexit, but it's not just the whole thing. Some of it is the fact that they are still less well-off than their parents and
0: grandparents and look like they're going to carry on being less well-off. And this generation rent is angry because as alice said a lot of people who at the age of 33 thought they'd be in their own home aren't and they can see themselves perhaps renting into retirement which brings up a whole load of other social and economic and financial problems that we haven't even thought about
3: and on the question of you she she talked about just about Managing, they, they even became the jams at one point, and then they tried to stop everyone talking about the jams because uh, it sounded a bit patronising. Uh, are we better off than we were three years ago? I mean, the, one of the sort of most striking things, and maybe it's just because Philip Hammond has been a much more low profile Chancellor than George Osborne, is the economy's just sort of receded out of the headlines a bit.
0: We've taken a lot of people out of tax. People in, who are more wealthy are paying a lot more tax. How often do we hear that? This is, is this failure to get across the salient points of policy that you could hold right. this whole <coughs> government responsible I mean, for.
4: Unbelievably, the Conservative Party's polling rating mm-hmm. is being buoyed up by this. Right? It may be difficult to realize because yeah. uh, they're so low, <laughs> um, but, but actually it's being buoyed up by the fact that real incomes are growing, yes. which they were, which it wasn't. Um, and
2: employment. So and and employment. Uh, and That's the extraordinary thing is that employment is doing very well and that that was the one it, issue that we you know we everyone was worried about and everyone was worried about post the referendum and in fact people you know people are still they're in jobs they're getting jobs there you know that I mean it's harder for the younger generation to get a job but most people are now in employment
0: and if you're creditworthy and eligible you've got the cheapest mortgage yeah, finance yeah. ever if you are already in a home and need to remortgage you have never had it so good
4: yes but I think that, you know one shouldn't underestimate obviously that, that a lot of people struggle a lot mm. um and although there may have been some progress in some ways people those people are still will still feel and they still will be struggling uh, an interesting and counterintuitive uh piece of work suggested that um, people are actually who are who are on basic um, incomes and who are looking for the sort of basics of life that that more people have got the basics of life. So we've seen all these soup kitchen statistics, which seem to suggest that uh, the the lowest levels of income people are, are have more and more levels of absolute poverty, but the data doesn't actually seem to, uh, the data on soup kitchens does seem to support that. The data on what sort of basic things people have, whether they've got enough food, for example, or enough heating, that doesn't seem to support it. That seems to The situation on that seems to have improved since 2010. The one that, that hasn't improved worse.
2: is social care. So she has, you know, that. we knew that hadn't happened under the coalition. Successive governments have tried to improve social care and that really has got worse under her. Mm-hmm. So that you get the sense that now if you're elderly or those the sort of mid-elderly are quite well off, the people who need care and help in the home and who are getting very frail have really found it a struggle as have their families. so if you have elderly parents who are ill it is extremely difficult now
0: but we're starting to see a kind of willingness to talk about the fact that people will need to save for their own social care and i think that every government needs to say some unacceptable things and i just wonder if the next government will be able to Start afresh on that one and say, we're all living longer. That's tremendous. But you will need to look after yourself more in old in your later years.
3: In a moment, we'll talk about what uh, the State of the Union will be back after this short break.
0: Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry?
3: I'm actually joined in the studio by Alice Thompson, Anne Ashworth and Daniel Finkelstein who wants to take a look at the State of the Union. First a reminder of what Theresa May had to say.
1: Because not everybody knows this, but the full title of my party is the Conservative and Unionist Party. And that word Unionist is very important. It means we believe in the Union. The precious, precious bond between England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. But it means something else that is just as important. It means we believe in a union, not just between the nations of the United Kingdom, but between all of our citizens, every one of us, whoever we are and wherever
3: we're from. So Danny, as uh, Theresa May prepare to leave um, Diannish Street, is the, is the union in better shape than when she moved in? Well, funnily enough,
4: this statement is only partly about the Union. The phrase unionist was actually employed to, use, to say something rather different. It's been allied with the state of the Union, so it should be comprehensible. But what he's, she's actually saying is... I take the part of the Conservative and Unionist Party that's explicitly got the Unionist label very seriously. And that is because Nick Timothy, who wrote this speech, revered Joe Chamberlain, the Liberal Unionist leader. This actually was uh, a prefiguring of the manifesto, uh, where the party began to say, we're not free market uh, fundamentalists. Uh, We do believe in intervening. Um, We take the radical uh, social change message of the Liberal Unionists as they merged as the Conservative Party very seriously so this actually this whole section really serves two purposes that was one the other of course is that she came to power at a time when people were saying the referendum will have this impact the Scots will leave uh the union um and in fact it doesn't uh Sort of touch on what has turned out to be a more significant part of the unionist problem she's had, which is the democratic unionist <laughs> and the Irish problem. Yeah, because the, the, the Irish uni- border... The
3: unionist bit of the speech took on sort of more exactly. weight a year so, later.
4: Funnily enough, in Scotland, I think the impact of there's been three things. Obviously, there's been the impact of having the referendum, uh, leaving the EU, and that has shaken the union. Secondly, there's been the impact of the difficulty of leaving the EU, which has simultaneously made people think we want to get out of the Union, but at the same time made people think how incredibly complicated it is uh, to get out of the Union. And then thirdly, there's been the issue of the second referendum, which has been very much entangled with uh, the question of whether Scotland would have a second referendum. So the Scottish Conservatives are very resistant to all the talk of second referendum because of the precedent that it would set. So this was in fact about two things, the unionist message of Joe Chamber. And Scottish Unionism, and in fact, the signature of her premiership has turned out to be about something completely different, which wasn't, which which you could hang on to this statement, but what in fact wasn't really being referred to, which is the relationship with the DUP, uh, which became a feature of her second uh, period in office, the second section of her premiership, and the whole question of the border in Ireland.
3: What do you think, Alice? Is it is the Union in, in good shape? I
2: think the union is in peril. I thought the worst part...
3: You think it's in peril? Yes,
2: I do think it's in... And I think one of the worst things was when... I know there are only 160,000 of them, but when the Tory membership said that they thought it was far more important to get Brexit through than for the union to stay together, that was a really shocking moment to me because I always thought that one of the reasons that the Conservatives were working with it is they did want to keep this union together and that was really important to them. And if you talk to people like William Hague, it still is extremely important to him and to most... And I'm half Scottish. It, it is important to me, actually. It's always been more important than Brexit to me to keep a union together and I think that's been the strangest thing is that we've allowed this to happen so gradually and then I mean Ireland no one had foreseen although you know, one or two people did stand up and say during the Brexit debate for the referendum that this was going to be an issue the Irish border no one had foreseen that in the way that it's become one of the major major issues and that's something that's actually really has been the, the problem that's encompassed the whole of Brexit and what we do about it and why it's so difficult
3: it's just so off brand, isn't it? The, the, Danny, Brexit. I mean conserve conserve is literally in the name. Leave everything alone. And cool. juniorist.
4: Yes. But don't. What people were really answering when they were asked that question was, uh, how much do you want Brexit? And people would go, um, well, what happens if it threatens the union? No, I want Brexit. What happens if it threatens the economy? No, I want Brexit. Uh, you know, what happens if it threatens the leadership of the Conservative No, I want Brexit. They, they are basically saying, um, we don't want any more excuses. You have to implement it. And I don't think they believe... Uh, it does have a profound effect, by the way, on our... Um, on our relationships with Scotland. It was pretty shocking, and I'm not there with them. Uh, but I don't think, actually, uh, I think this reflected more the absolute determination of those people to achieve Brexit, which I, by the way, think they could have had if they'd only agreed to the deal. So I'm not very sympathetic to this whole thrust. I'm not I'm not anywhere near where they are politically on this issue. But that's really what they were saying. And although it sounds as though they're downplaying the... Um, the importance of the union. Actually, what they're doing is saying we attach supreme importance to leaving the EU in a way that lots of people who are remainers don't quite get. What do you make of this, Anne? Do you think the the union is in a
3: good state?
0: I'm feeling it's more shaky than I've ever known during my lifetime.
3: Everything is. <laughs> well, yes,
0: but you know also something that always fascinates me. We've been through an extraordinary period. The two most powerful politicians in England and Scotland, Scott, N- S- Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May. I know it sounds a bit kind of like um, women's magaziney, but you know I'm always interested to know what their real relationship was like. And what? Foster. Yes, yeah, and Arlene Foster what did these women really think of each other i mean they in their childhoods could never expected that this were these were the kind of positions that they would achieve you know we've been through an extraordinary moment in the progress of women but what was the relationship between these women? Did they see it as a sisterhood or were they just buoyed along by events in the same way that every politician seems to be? It's rather like that millenaria of events, my boy, my events. Yeah. It's a bit like Elizabeth First yeah. and Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah.
2: You can see a play eventually being written about the two. Yeah. I don't think they did get on very well. I and mean, Having interviewed them both, I think they're... they're relationship was pretty fractious the relationship that worked was arlene foster and ruth davidson oddly and they did get on very well and they do and they joke quite a lot Was i thought theresa may was rather oddly unsistly and didn't actually bother to talk to arlene foster well, enough or bring any of the women in enough but or, she doesn't you talk you to just, anyone sorry
4: you know, th- th- yes, that's the key well, I, I, I actually uh, i actually had a good relationship with her um but uh, but it but it wasn't based on expecting her to uh emote or communicate a great deal and and actually I was only, uh, you know, maybe my personal uh, arrogance that leads me to think I've got a good relationship because it's guessing a lot of the time with her that you have Um, but I think, so I think if I had to guess what her relationship was with, with Nicholas Sturgeon, and you'd have to guess. I loved the bit, by the way, where people were trying to guess how Theresa May had voted in the mm. um, leadership election, as if she was really going to tell loads of people. Have they not been watching? Right, She doesn't do <laughs> that. Um, so I, I think that she... Uh, I think she was very... Um, her relationship would be this. Um, she... Does prefer women to men in terms of she does think that mm. men talk a lot probably
3: mm. someone like me <laughs> talks you know
4: talk over everyone and pompous and male and she doesn't like that um, but she's also conser- and so she would prefer women to him but she's also conservative um, and so therefore the fact that she's not a conservative would like, be quite a big barrier between them. Um,
2: but then Ruth Davidson and her should have been closer I think in the end yeah. I think Ruth Davidson's such a huge she asset does to she's the party. not close.
4: She's not close to very many. She's not close to anyone, really. I mean, except for <laughs> Philip. She just does not the way she right. works. And it's difficult for other people to sort of to get because she's so singular as a politician. Almost there are no other politicians who really don't do small talk at all, who don't have loads of chummy friends in conversation who are as retiring as she is. I think that, you know, if you look at the whole list of prime ministers, she would finish right at the top end of lack of of of. Communication. So, right? actually, while so we've been talking,
3: w- one of the things I ri- I wrote down was communication because this feels like the thing which ties it all together. That on where there has been progress, she hasn't communicated yeah. it properly. Um, so, whether that's on whether it is on wages or the fact they have built more houses, albeit not enough, or um, and her inability to communicate to the country or to her party has actually been the, the sort of defining feature as to why she hasn't made more progress or why we feel like more progress hasn't been made and maybe ultimately that's why she didn't get
2: It is extraordinary that she through. actually became Prime Minister in I mean, some ways because yeah. she really isn't a communicator is and everyone knew that when she was Home Secretary you know a lot of people had interviewed her we've seen her on television, we'd seen how she operated and she very much was a singular operator she didn't have friends, she wasn't clubbable and so it's rather extraordinary in a way that she ended up as Prime Minister but it was extraordinary times and I think it's partly because... Danny then, you're shaking
4: your head yeah, I just think Look, it had nothing to do with any of these things no, I think she I...
2: needed to be, I think what happened <laughs> is they Needed a woman to a certain extent because actually there's sure. always that a, 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 everyone does look at it and go I, when it's very difficult and times are tough and the men don't want to take it on quite often a woman does step. I forward. know, but I,
4: the the idea that we would have got Brexit through um, if she had been substantially more chatty uh, or 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 um, delivered with Ronald Reagan speeches, I, I I just don't agree that that would have happened because it underest.
3: No, no, See, I I disagree. With you. I think there was a point right. where her inability to communicate with David Davis and Boris Johnson around no, checkers I fundamentally. And then her inability to communicate with her MPs, meant that even by the time she produced a deal,
4: half the party were against it. I totally disagree with you about that. I know know that you think that, and uh, you may be right, that's the most important thing. But we'll never know. I just don't know. You may be right, but let me put my part of it, I know people can make up their own mind, (laughs) and and, I don't say this with any great degree of confidence, but I think my my view is that that, um, the the fundamentals are what made this very difficult, which, well, one, Brexit itself requires all sorts of alignments in order to make a smooth Brexit, that the people who advocated Brexit didn't want and couldn't support. Right. Secondly, there were the personal interests in Boris, of Boris Johnson in particular, but also David Davis, which militated completely against accepting some solution that came out of a box from Theresa May. And thirdly, she didn't have a majority and therefore and the Labour Party was unlikely to support a solution that kept the Conservative Party in office. Those three things are much more important I think the than her ability to, to communicate if she'd been better at communicating with the country, she would have had a majority. Well, OK. That is the one thing where I would where I would accept. It's I conceivable do that's that, true. I'm not agree, sure that is true. I think true. I do agree
2: with this. You can't be t- entirely negative about her. And what I thought was extraordinary about her was her bravery. So there were moments, I mean, we, what we haven't mentioned is that speech she gave, the party conference speech, when you know, she'd lost her voice, the scenery mm. was coming down. You know, she, she was, literally, it was her worst moment and she kept going. And in a funny way, that was the most extraordinary thing about her, that she didn't communicate, but she did keep going. And then watching her at the cricket this weekend and dancing and she had flashes of humour so she wasn't entirely humourless and devoid of anything there there was an extraordinary element to it that never really came to the fore but actually was quite interesting I thought
0: So will we remember her as what she could have been because whenever she started talking I used to hear I will survive Mm. playing in my head the swagger of the clothes let's remember she brought elegance to number 10 and the. During that speech, where she was coughing, she said some pretty amazing things about social housing. I was going through everything that she had said about housing and I was thinking, good grief, if only that had happened, where would the prospects of her party have been and where would we have been in levels of content in our country?
4: I would also argue this. I think ultimately she'll be vindicated on Brexit. The solution that she has produced is... Now we are faced with a choice between what I I regard as two bad things. I say she'll be vindicated. Of course, what I mean by that, she'll be vindicated in the light of my opinion on it, um, <laughs> because because everyone has their own opinion. But so, uh, but I think you know I, th- I profoundly think I'm going. We're now faced with a choice between remain, stroke, revoke, with all of the. Problems of a rising populist resentment that we didn't accept the result and a World Trade Organization yeah, so exit with all the damage it will do. So that, okay, so that was my, my
3: uh, last question. Do you think, I mean, the moment it h- looks like history's not going to look on that kindly, will she end up being seen better in retrospect than she has now? Sorry, you, Anne.
0: Almost certainly, yes.
3: Alice?
2: Yeah, I always think if you start from a low, you build up. And I think the other way around, that Prime Ministers who leave, having been thought of as wonderful and fantastic, often end up like Tony Blair, being seen in a different light a few years later.
4: Right, so most historians will be uh, will work in universities, belong to Romania, therefore they'll judge badly a position on Brexit because she was in favour of implementing it. But in fact, I think that she's uh, was right in the position she takes and it'll be proven that the other positions don't work and that'll make us look back more fondly at what she's did. But it was a failure and it's possible that if someone else succeeds, we'll look at it and say, uh, yeah, so it's too early to judge next. because we, we may look at it and, and how say, well they you know what, somebody could have got breaking through. Boris Johnson did break through uh, and therefore what you could have done or Jeremy Corbyn did produce a, a brilliant deal and it solves all the social problems. I think that's highly unlikely. So my view is she will be vindicated in the position she's taken.
3: Well, there we are. We'll, we'll find out next week who's going to be Prime Minister. It'll be a big, uh, it'll be a big surprise. Um, maybe after all, the, the burning injustice speech wasn't the one we should be speaking about. Maybe it was the coughing one. Is the sort of metaphor mm-hmm. for may. Um She just coughed and spluttered away through it all the letters fell off and in the end she was given a P 45 and as a metaphor for her premiership maybe that's a much better one and that's all we've got uh, time for on this week's episode a quick tip we've got an absolutely cracking documentary episode out later this week which you will not want to miss so subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen uh, do let me know what you think about how Theresa May has done as PM tweet at Box or email redbox at the uk. but for now my huge thanks to Danny, Alice and Anne for me Matt Jorley it's goodbye